0: I'm going to have Holly come up. Uh, you guys, you've been waiting for Melchizedek and Hebrews chapter 7. It's a lot. There's a lot in this chapter, and so just to have a careful reading of it. So we you stand together? And the verses will also be on the screen, but Holly's going to read this for us as... As we dive into a, a little bit of a precarious, a little bit of a difficult chapter, but together we're going we're gonna to hear the word of the Lord, like lean in and listen as Holly just reads it over us, and then let's, let's dig in and see what God has for us today.
1: For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First... His name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now consider how great this man was. Even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers and sisters, though they have also descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, men who will die receive a tenth, but in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For the the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now, it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing. But a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever.
0: Let's let's pray together. God, please help us. Um, You have some real treasures in this text for us. Sometimes we are lazy, sometimes we are slow to understand, and so I pray, God, that your spirit would awaken us and guide us into all this truth, Um, help us to discover what our natural eyes maybe would not be able to see, but because you are within us guiding us, Lord, we're going to be able to see some beautiful things that will awaken faith, uh, uh, awaken a hope in you um, supernaturally, Lord. That's what we're praying for. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, you may be seated. I mean, clear as day. I don't know why we're even bothering. Just let's all go home. No, thanks, Holly, for reading that. Just just hearing the word and carefully having it read over us, I think, is, is just really important. Here's what I want to do, though. We're going to obviously spend some time in Hebrews 7. But to get the background to this, to even understand how we got to this whole obscure uh, recollection of Melchizedek, let's go back and read about him. So go back all the way to Genesis, okay? I want you to go to Genesis chapter 14. Here's what happens as we get to these just couple of verses that we're gonna read from Genesis 14. Um, Abraham, pretty major character in, in the Old Testament. In fact, the father of all the faithful. And so what happens is Abraham, is, his uh, tribe is increasing. He's got this nephew, Lot with him, and at some point, the two of them become so numerous that they need to divide and conquer, right? So they, they divide up, they're going to two separate ways so their livestock can have enough grazing pastures and so forth. Well, where Lot goes, he ends up getting in the middle of this big war, kind of collateral damage, you might say. These, this grouping of allied kings versus this other group, grouping of allied kings, they meet in a battle, and as the whole thing ensues, Lot gets hauled off, taken captive with a bunch of other people, and Abraham, who has moved off to another place, finds out about this, loves, cares for not just Lot, but all the other people who are, who are taken off, hauled off captive. So he intervenes, right? And what's crazy is he musters up 318 dudes. It, it, it tells us the exact number. He had, Abraham brings in 318. Remember, I said this is a collection of four to five. Allied kingdoms coming together, but Abraham, at great risk to himself, goes off and actually wins the battle, rescues all these people—not just his his uh, his nephew Lot, but all all of the people. And on his way back after this incredible, nothing but supernatural victory, uh, rescuing these people and bringing them back encounters this dude, Melchizedek. So look at Genesis 14, and we're going to hit on that very moment, verse 17. It says, After, after Abraham returned from defeating Cheder Lomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in Shavah Valley, that is, the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him, and he said, Abram is blessed by God most High creator of heaven and earth and blessed be God most High who has handed over your enemies to you and Abram gave him a tenth of everything okay if you have done your Bible reading at some point you're in Genesis just going you know through all of a sudden you get to this point and you're like wait what wait Who is this dude, and where is he from, and how how did this happen? Because as soon as I that little passage I get done reading, as soon as you're done reading that, you go on and you never hear of him again. It is the craziest little thing. We call this guy an enigma. Okay, an enigma. You know what an, an enigma is? Something very puzzling very mysterious. It's, it's out of place. It doesn't fit the mold, right? So, all of a sudden, you've got this thing that is just in such jarring distinction from everything else that's going on, just kind of, boop, drops in, boop, <laughs> drops back out, and you're like, okay, well, that was weird, right? But it's so dramatic that it captures your attention. So, this Melchizedek is puzzling because he's first introduced to us as a, a king. That makes sense. All these kings gathered, Oh, wait, he's not just a king. He's a high priest, and a high priest of God most high, like the one true creator God. How many others are out there also serving the one true God, God most high? I don't know, but all of a sudden, here's Melchizedek, comes in, sweeps into the scene, he's a king, and he's a priest. And then what's with the bread and wine? Did you notice that? Brings out bread and wine. Okay, so as a Christian now, so many thousand years later, looking back, that should capture our attention. This high priest brings out a communion table? Well, that's weird. That doesn't happen for another couple thousand years, right? So there's all these kind of mysterious things dropped into the scene. But this idea of being a priest, notice the the priesthood even being exhibited right here with Melchizedek. He first represents God before Abraham. In other words, representing God, he blesses Abraham. That's what a high priest does, kind of representing God, speaks over the people. So representing God, he blesses Abraham, and then flips it around, and representing Abraham, blesses God and thanks God. Why? Because God alone gave him the victory. He says, this is the God most high who gave the victory, and he's kind of giving words to Abraham in praise to God. So that's perfectly in line with what a priest does, representing God before us, representing us before God. Clearly, this guy is set apart. Like, he's in a whole nother league of kings, a whole nother league of, of priests, and as a result of that, Abraham, the most natural thing he can think of to do is offer him a tithe, <laughs> give, it, give him a tenth of everything. It became the most kind of beautiful overflow of worship. Now, this idea of a tithe, I, the reason we need to explain this, not only is it repeated here, it's repeated once we get to Hebrews 7 as, all, as well. A tithe, you guys, is a tenth. It, it means God has so richly blessed me, I've been so impacted by the God Most High, that spontaneously I'm going to take a tenth of what I have and give it back. Now, that's important because sometimes as Christians we think, Any little thing we give is my tithe. Oh, yeah, I tithe. And by that, I mean, oh, I actually happen to have a $5 bill, which, interestingly, just this morning, I was like, I've got a $5 bill. I didn't even know. It was like a secret pocket inside this pocket, and I found this $5 bill. Here's what we do sometimes. Uh, I didn't actually plant that. That happened this morning. Sometimes we think, after I've done everything else with all my money, if I have a little bit left over, I'll put that. There's my tithe. That's not a tithe. That's a cheap tip, actually, right? That, that's a scandalously low tip. No, a tithe is a tenth. And it's not some legalistic thing. This is way before Moses and law and all this. This is the most spontaneous act of worship is, God, you've done so much for me. I want to offer back to you a tenth. It, 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 it becomes this pattern of God's people. And again, it comes back to us when we get to the book of Hebrews. So here's what happens. We get this, never heard, hear from him again, until we get, go to the book of Psalms, go to Psalm 110, something very mystical, something mysterious about Melchizedek. We don't run into him again until the time of David. So this is, you guys, a thousand years after Melchizedek hits the scene, a thousand years passed, no mention of him, and now all of a sudden, one of the songs of David, Psalm 110, here's what it says. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Rule over your surrounding enemies. So this is understanding. King David talking about a yet future king that will far exceed his kingship, right? Verse 3, your people will volunteer on your day of battle. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. And then here it is. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook of the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now, here again is this weird enigma. This is clearly all about a future king. But right in the dead center, he says, oh, this king is actually also a priest. A priest kind of like, in the pattern of, this dude Melchizedek. A thousand years have passed, and apparently it's still fresh in his mind because he's like, oh, not only is there a future king, a magnificent king, far exceeding all kingships that I can imagine, not only is he coming, he's also going to be a priest, so now, another thousand years take place, and let's go to the book of Hebrews. Okay, so thousand years from when Melchizedek all of a sudden comes to David, now thousand years transpire between David and the writing of Hebrews. So, if you've been here at Veritas, you've, you've known that we've been going through this book, and we first encountered this. Go back to chapter five, verse nine, where in Hebrews five nine he says about the son. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and he was declared by God a high priest according to the order or pattern of Melchizedek. Now, you remember when we got there because he says, you know, I'd like to go into this, but you guys are so lazy, you won't understand what I'm talking about. So all of chapter 6 is about a really stinging rebuke, and it was well-received, I think, by you, by me, like, hey, you've got to step it up. In in how you lean into uh, this this journey of faith in God, right? So he does that, and then you get to the end of chapter 6, and he's going to pick the story back up. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he's become a high priest forever according to the order or according to the pattern of Melchizedek. So now it's like, okay, you kind of teased us with it in chapter 5. Now you're willing to kind of let us see behind the curtain, how is he a priest like Melchizedek? What's that mean? So now we come to our text today. So let's look at chapter 7. Holly just read these verses, but let's look again at these first verses. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham, here it is again, gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now consider how great this man was. Even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the plunder to him. So here we have this idea that this Melchizedek introduced to us back in the book of Genesis was actually just a shadow, just just like a passing shadow of someone greater that's coming. Think of it like a prophetic metaphor, almost like a a little image to to catch our attention, to catch the intrigue of, of who this was and what this might be. And Psalm 110, adding a little fuel to that, like, getting us to to look on the horizon, waiting for this coming one. Like, here's what he says, he resembling the Son of God, right? Verse 3, Melchizedek just resembled, kind of looked like, was just a little shadow of now we have the real one, the true king of righteousness. In Jesus, we have the true king of peace. We have a true high priest. He's truly divine. Like, Melchizedek, it kind of looked like he didn't have father or mother because he just jumped on the scene. We don't know who he came from. But this one, no, truly is divine, eternal. No beginning, no end. God himself. He's so great. He's so large. I, I, I love the way that he, he describes him. He's such a great man in, in verse 4. That idea of great being large. In other words, he kind of busts through the mold. He, he's so much greater, so, so expansive beyond my wildest imagination that he is to be worshipped, right? So much out of my class, so much over Abraham's class, any other class, busts all molds, and there he is. So in other words, Jesus is the true enigma. (laughs) Jesus is the one who truly is going to burst all ideas, all concepts, all molds. And so the most appropriate response, again, from us, is going to be to fall down and worship him, okay? This is the new greater king, the new greater priest. So, What the rest of chapter 7 is going to do is talk about how it is that Jesus should be so fascinating to us. How it is that he should, if if Melchizedek kind of catches our attention and and, and just gets us in in mysterious wonder, Jesus should just explode our ideas and and he's going to welcome us to him. So here's the deal. He's going to urge us to throw out our like weak and broken ideas of how we should come to God, and namely, in their day, it was through this priesthood. He's going to say, get rid of this idea of coming to God through a priesthood. Something so much greater has come. And you should be eagerly, like, discarding any other way you thought you would come to God and grab on to this Jesus. The way I want you to think about that is, so I've got a, I've got a chainsaw, and I'm terrible. I don't take care of my chainsaw. And if you have a chainsaw, you know what happens When you have a chainsaw that you don't take care of, right? So uh, about a week ago, I had this massive limb from my ash tree come down in my backyard and uh, it's not dying, thankfully. I know ash trees do that. Mine isn't, it's well, but a limb came down. You know, everything has limbs that come up. Anyway, but not everything, every tree. This limb came down. Let's get back to the subject. So as I, as I got out, I, 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 my grandsons were there that, that weekend, and one of them, Jet, he loves chainsaws. So I got his goggles on him. I had him stand safely apart, you know. And I, I'm like, this. You know, well, this thing is so dull, so outrageously dull. I'm like, wait, Jet, it's good. I mean, I, barely, I can't get through a branch, right? It's so pathetic because I've taken such poor care of my own chainsaw. I can't even go through this branch, right? So here's the deal. If I'm in that moment and somebody's like, oh, here, use mine, and hands me this glistening, newly sharpened blade, well-oiled, taken care of chainsaw, and all of a sudden I'm like, Zoom, right, right, right through, like, you know, hot knife through butter kind of thing. What would I do with my old chainsaw? I'd be like, you know, throw that thing off. Are you kidding me? Zoom, Zoom, I'd be chopping out everybody's trees, right? Because it's so much better. It's so much better. Here's, the author of Hebrews is going to try to convince us. These old ways, yeah, maybe, maybe that's all you had. Like if you've got a leaky bucket, you know, it's better than no bucket at all. So that's, that's all we had. That's what we're going to use to get together. But compared to this Jesus, oh, just get rid of it. Just toss it off to the side, right? So he starts off with a little bad news, and that is that earthly priests, you guys, earthly priests are broken and weak. They, it's all they had at that point, but, but it's bad. Look at, look at verse 11 with me. Chapter 7, verse 11. If perfection came through this Levitical priesthood, from the basis of it, the people received the law, right? Well, if perfection could come through then what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek, the pattern of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Aaron? If the Levitical priesthood was all that we needed to get right with God, to make ourselves pure and right with God, why would we need this new one after another order, another pattern of, of Melchizedek? The quick explainer, guys, is Jewish people depended on the priest to represent them before God and then to hear back from God toward them. They depended on this system of a priesthood. So the, the first priest that we have as you go through the Old Testament was Aaron, Aaron was a, a brother of Moses. Aaron became the first high priest that we ever have in, in the Old Testament. He was in the family line of Levi. And so God just said, hey, let's just take that family lineage and have them be the, the priests, okay? So that's why you get the Levitical priesthood. That's why you get the book of Leviticus. It's all about this Levitical line coming from Aaron, the first high priest. His family became the one that, that kind of contributed priesthood, okay? Here's the problem, guys. The Levites and the high priests were terrible. They were broken. They were weak. Aaron, the very first high priest that we had, ended up, Building a golden calf and asking people not to worship the one true God, but this golden calf. Right now, he repented of that. And we kind of, but you can see a week from the very first, the very first one we ever had, to, kind of took people away from the one true God. Then you get to other ones like Eli's sons who used to steal. People are bringing their sacrifice here. Here, priests, can you go before God? And they'd steal it for themselves and not even give it to God. They were d- doing immoral things right there at the temple. Like this was scandalously bad. A week. And broken priesthood. And so a legit question that people had and still have is, look, how can this dude represent me before God when he's doing things that make me blush, right? Like I'm expecting him to go represent me. Hey, you go do this. And if he's worse than I am, wow, this is a broken system, right? And if that wasn't bad enough, guys, even the good ones have a shelf life and kick the bucket at some point, right? So he says that too. Look down at verse 23. Verse 23, Now many became Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in that office. So, oh, we finally every now and then get a really good one, and then he dies, right? So, well, here we go again. We're going to have to get another bad one up because the one good one we had finally kicked the bucket, right? So, the author of Hebrews is trying to say, we need a restart, Guys, we need a massive restart, and we have that in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the restart. He is going to break the mold and show us what we really need. So I want you to look with me at verse 12, okay? Verse 12, he says this. When there's a change of the priesthood, there's got to be a change of the law as well, a whole rewriting of things, right? Verse 13, "For for the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe, No no one from it served at the altar. Now, it's evident that our Lord came from Judah, a different family line, not Levi, Judah. And Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. This becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who didn't become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of, of Melchizedek Jesus broke the mold he didn't become a high priest because he was born into the right family went according to the rules this is how you get no 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 broke all the mold broke all the rules whole different family line and he's with us because of I I love the way he says it the power of an indestructible life we didn't just have to put up with this one because he's got the pedigree he's got the right family line oh shoot I got a bad one in my life oh no no This high priest is ours, and he will be ours forever because of his indestructible life. Like Melchizedek, Jesus steps onto the scene, and he is an enigma, and exactly the kind of enigma that we need. So here's what we're going to do. Again, you're going to see, I'm not covering every aspect of this chapter. I want to point out the really good news. The bad news is the old system's broken, weak. Good news is this. Look, we're going to start in verse 24, and here's the first good news. The good news is, guys, Jesus is eternal. He will never leave you. He's not like the other, even good high priest that would end up dying, and then oh no, we're lost again. And we who, who are we depend on no. Good news: Jesus is eternal, and He will never leave you. Look at verse twenty-four. But because He remains forever, He holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him since he always lives to intercede for them. He is eternal. He is the one. Here's the way I want you to see this. Flip, if you will, a couple of chapters to chapter 13, because Hebrews actually applies this for us later on, and we'll come to it. We'll spend more time with this in weeks to come. But look at verse 5, 13, 5. Just one area that that we can really trust this high priest in. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. Why? He himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. How can your life be full of contentment and free from love of money? Focusing on his E- eternality. He will never leave us, never abandon us. Therefore, we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper. I'm not going to be afraid." What can man do to me? Here's the thing: the beautiful thing about that that first quotation is it comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And here's why it's so fascinating that he, he quotes from Deuteronomy to reflect on Jesus. Because what happens in Deuteronomy 31, Moses has been leading the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery, and now they're about to cross into the promised land, but they know there's scary things going on in the promised land. There's enemies in the promised land. And this great leader that has brought them all the way to this point is now gonna take a step back. He's actually gonna pass away, not even go with them. And so all the people are like, no, 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 you, you can't leave us now. We're about to cross over into Scaryville, right? This is, don't leave us, don't leave us, I'm really afraid. And the promise that God gives at that point is, be strong, be courageous, don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you. He will never abandon you, right? And now they take that promise and bring it up to, to, that's what, what Hebrews is talking about. Jesus is never gonna leave us. High priest come, high priest go, and 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 I, I, I'm looking for that leader. Who's going to stay with? Who's going to hold my hand? And Jesus is like, No, no, I got you. I got you, and I'm never ever going to. I'm going to save you completely. I'm not going to do a handoff down the road. I'm going to save you completely. He always lives to intercede for you to step in on your behalf. What if I stumble? What if I blow it? What if something comes and I start doubting my faith? It's never been dependent on you, Jesus is saying. I got you. You might stumble, but you're not going to fall because I'm going to uphold you by my righteous right hand. I'm going to save you completely. What if I get scared? What what if I want to pull back? What if I want to turn away? Or even let's get real personal. What if I get COVID? I I hear that's going on again. What if, what if, right? What if we start getting persecuted? What if the heat really gets turned on around here? And what if elections go the wrong way? And what if, what if, what if, right? Right. What if something terrible happens to someone that I love? What if I lose a child? What if I lose a marriage? What if these worst case scenarios, what if, what if? There's scary things on the other side of this, around this corner. Guys, nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. He will not turn away during your darkest hour. Go ahead and create the worst case scenario, your greatest fear that could happen in your mortal life. And here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not going anywhere. In fact, at those times that you are the most afraid, I'm going to be nearer to you in those moments. We don't need a weak high priest and one that, even if he's really good, dies. No, no, no. We need a high priest that is going to be with us and we can count on, and we have that in Jesus Christ. The good news is Jesus is eternal. He will never leave you. Nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. There's more good news than just that. Let's look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, this is the kind of high priest we need. I love that line. Man, if you're an underliner, highlighter, that, that's kind of the whole point of this chapter. This is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Actually, this high priest doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. No, no, no. He did this once for all time, when he offered himself, the good news is Jesus is sinless. He really can represent you. Remember that, that thought that I had is, man, if that priest is worse than I am, what hope do I have in that guy, right? And he's saying, oh, I know, totally. That's why Jesus steps in and Jesus is sinless. Therefore, he really can step in and intercede for you with his indestructible life. He really can step in and say, oh, I got this, Right? I really can step in. Think of it like this, like if, if uh, you owed a great debt and let's just say I had, uh, let's say you, you owed a great debt of say a half million dollars and all of a sudden you, you woke up one day and you looked in your bank account and I had deposited a million dollars into your account. Okay, not only would you be elated because your debt could be taken care of. More than just the debt being gone, you've got an excess of another half million dollars, right? It, it has been put in, and so now it's totally yours. <laughs> Somebody has intervened, interceded on your behalf, and now you have something that you never earned, never thought was possible. Not only have you escaped debt, you are lavishly poured upon. This Jesus is sinless, can step in. This is the kind of high priest that we need, right? He's saying, I'm going to actually put on the table my holiness for your darkest sin. What you bring to the table, think of the darkest sin, the thing that you would be ashamed of if you, if you ever let it come out of your mouth, that this is the real kind of person you are. And here's what Jesus says, oh, I see that. I see it actually more vividly than even you see it. And I know that's what you bring to the table. Here's what I bring to the table, my holiness, my indestructible holiness. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give, look at these words, my innocence for the worst part of who you are. You wish you were still naive about some things. You wish you were still innocent about some things. Oh yeah, no. You bring all the worst parts of who you are, I give you my innocence. Jesus is saying my undefiled life for all the times you defiled your own life, well alone the times that you have been defiled upon, but now your undefiled life, he's saying I'm gonna give you my undefiled life. For every time you caved, for every time you in in weakness just buckled, I give you my true, pure, like perfect life. He said I stayed true, I stayed pure. I now give my purity to you. And I love this where it says he's exalted above the heavens. Look at that in verse 26. Exalted above the heavens. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying, I'm exalted now. And when you look up and and see me, you don't see scorn on my face. You don't see disappointment on my face. When I look up to Jesus, knowing who I am, when I look up and see his face, you know what I see? Just beaming joy. I see him saying, oh man, I love you. I can't wait to bring you home. I've got a place prepared. The place is all ready for you. Man, I can't, I can't wait. I love you so much. I don't look up and see disappointment or scorn. That's the kind of high priest that I need. You can't exhaust Jesus' ability to forgive. You need to stop worrying about that. Because once for all, he has offered himself for you. For all time. And he's not going anywhere. That's the kind of high priest we need with that indestructible life. Isn't that freeing to know that? That you don't have to work for it? That you're not still kind of working to achieve something before Jesus? Done. Paid for. Completed. That's how he sees you. And that last verse, verse 20, gives us the last bit of good news. Jesus is the king and priest we desperately need. Look, look how he ends this chapter. For the law appoints as high priest, men who are weak, right? But the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son. Jesus Christ, the son of God, who has been perfected forever. Here's the craziness about the son now stepping in to be our new king, our new priest. This is the kind of the kind of God that his son would come and take our place, number one. How how crazy is that, that level of love? More than that, this is the kind of king who actually becomes a pauper. This is the kind of king that actually takes his, his place in the lowest place, to be born into a feeding trough, right? And then to live the rest of his life being able to understand what it is like to live at the lowest level, to live in poverty. That's the kind of king that we have, right? That's the kind of king that that we've always needed is one that truly understands. They don't live in some ivory tower, like, even, even in our political system. Oh, yeah, easy for you up there in Washington. Whatever, making doling down all these. Lo- no, no, no. This is the kind of king who comes and lives among his people and understands us intimately. That's the kind of king we need. And this is the kind of priest. This kind of a priest became the lamb that would be sacrificed. Both the priest and the sacrifice all mixed into one. What kind of a priest is that? That's the kind of priest we have. The perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Guys, just meditate on that just for a moment. Think about the kind of king that we have. Think about the kind of priest that we have. So what do we do with this crazy chapter? One, and this, this comes, we, I actually preemptively had my connection group walk through Hebrews 7. We'd just read a few verses, stop, what's that mean? You know, and I probably had more questions than any of them. Um, but one of the gals in our group said this, you know what really strikes me about this? God shows up in the most unlikely places. <laughs> like, when I think maybe that all is lost, or when I don't see it coming, There's God just stepping in and kind of interjecting himself, right? I think one of the cool kind of meta stories of this whole thing is God is not a tame lion. He doesn't play by the rules that you expect. He breaks every mold that you've ever created about him. Every idol that you've created, this is the way God is. He's like, oh, really? Actually, let me introduce myself. I'm the real God, right? Constantly showing up in places you don't expect, in ways that you don't expect, That's the kind of God we serve. Can I say too, look, there's a lot going on in our world about Christian leaders that terribly disappoint us, right? Can I just say, it's inexcusable. I make no justification for for leaders who represent God and who just make a travesty of the position that they have. It's horrible. But you know what I'm really marveling at as I go through this passage? Our faith has never been dependent on human leaders, right? Human leaders have always disappointed us, and even the best of them have a shelf life. They die, right? Like, I'm really bummed. I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, I'm bummed that Eugene Peterson is dead because he used to write some incredible things that I would just hang on every word. I'm bummed that guys like R.C. Sproul and Jerry Bridges, these guys, like... They shaped me. And you know what? They died. <laughs> they're, they're gone. Now I still read their books, you know, but I'm, even the best of them, <laughs> like, I don't stick around. Right? They Here's what I'm so grateful for, guys. My faith has never been dependent on R.C. Sproul dropping a new sermon into my life. <laughs> it's always been on Jesus Christ. So the ones that really disappoint us, I'm sorry for that. I hate that. I hope I'm not ever one of them. Oh, help me, God to never be one of those. But I'm also saying, we're not dependent on human leaders, but on Jesus Christ who will never leave us, will never disappoint us. That's our hope. And then the one truth that we need to have cut through the mystery of this text. In fact, we're going to sing this. In fact, I want Dalton and the rest of the gang to come on out here because I want us to sing this back to the Lord. We we sang this at at our uh, time of worship. Sometimes as a staff, we'll just... Uh, worship James wheeled out the, the piano and Dalton got on the guitar. And we sang, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of we- weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Will you, will you stand with me? We're going to be singing this song. But I want you to, I want you to really hear this. Jesus is looking down saying, your strength is small. (laughs) He knows that about you right now. Your strength is small. He calls you a child of weakness. Watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Yes, you were never able to handle it on your own. You were never going to be perfect on your own. But here's our hope, you guys. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain. He is the one that washed it. White as snow. That's our hope. Jesus, uh, receive our worship. Jesus, there's a lot of mystery in this whole thing, but at the end of the day, oh Lord, we have this kind of high priest, this kind of king. We've broken virtually Every kind of uh, system that you've given us, to, we, we blow it right and left, but you, you will never leave us, never forsake us. Our faith has depended on your perfection, not our own. And so, just the way that Abraham, Lord, the way that Abraham just fell on his knees, offered himself and worshiped you, even giving a tithe, may we fall on our knees and worship you now, Lord. Our weakness gives way to your strength. You paid it all. All to you I owe. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Receive our worship even now.